0: Hey, 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 hey there. Welcome,
1: welcome 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 to,
0: welcome to. I said, I said, hey there, and welcome to Hitchcock Chronologically, the show where I, Jeff, go through all of Alfred Hitchcock's movies. I take every Wednesday of the year and I watch a Hitchcock movie and review it. He has 52 movies. There's 52 Wednesdays in 2021. There you go, now I've dated the podcast, everything's great and fine, and I just watched Suspicion, starring Cary Grant, Joan Fontaine, and of course, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, that's why I'm doing this, because it's him. I just had hot nachos, okay, so uh, I'm feeling kind of, I don't know, I apologize, okay. I literally just finished watching this movie. It came out in 1941 and it is the first movie starring Cary Grant, uh, who we will see uh, a few more times in our travels through the back catalog of Alfred Hitchcock. While he's physically recognizable in this movie, he plays a character very different than what I I've used to seeing Cary Grant in before, like North by Northwest, who's a very suave debonair, And he is that to a degree in this movie. He meets Joan Fontaine uh, on a train. And then they are going to the same destination, I guess. And he flirts with her. He's a poor guy. Like, they establish he doesn't have any money. He's on a train. And he pretends he has a ton of money. But he bought a third-class ticket, I guess. Or coach or whatever they would call it. And but he moves his way up to Joan Fontaine's cabin and they ask for his ticket and he has to pay an upcharge. And the way he did it, it looked like he did like a coin trick or something to be able to pay less to get to be able to sit in the seat he was in. And he's not as charismatic as I'm used to from his other movies, but at the same time. He's not a likable character like I, the character I don't like. He is a swindler, a con man, a um, person who is addicted to gambling, and uh, he cares not for the feelings of others. And this is apparently the perfect man for Joan. And and Joan's the actress's name. The, the character is Johnny Isgarth, A-Y-S-G-A-R-T-H. And uh, Joan Fontaine plays Linda McLaw Law Laidlaw, Laidlaw as Goth, and uh, they <clears throat> they are not married when they meet. You know, I, I mean, I know it's a different time and all, but uh, they meet and fall in love like in two days. I'm not even kidding. Okay, so he like like ah, so he sees her and he's like, I gotta meet this girl, and he talks some. Other women. So he's like, okay, it's Cary Grant, right? He's a handsome guy. He looks like James Bond. And he's able to get some friends to introduce him to Joan Fontaine's character. And they, well, they're on their way to church and he invites her along to go to church. But then he skips church and takes her up the hill and then just starts grabbing her by her arms. Like, at least that's what you see. But apparently she, like, flipped out because he was trying to unbutton the top button of her shirt, which is a perfectly reasonable reason to just lose it and say, get your hands off of me. But he says to her. Don't do that. Why not? Because your euccipital mupillary is quite beautiful. What's an euccipital mapillary? That. You don't need to touch it. And the very thing he touches, the euccipital mupillary, which you you learn all kinds of new stuff uh, with this podcast, is the area directly below uh, your Adam's apple, uh, but above the breastbone, and he pokes it. What a gentleman. And she at no point gives him any... Indication that she's into him, but I mean, at the same time, she's saying yes to go with him and stuff. But he, before this scene, he grabs her like because she's trying to get away from him, and he has her arms. I wish you could see me pantomiming, and she's like trying to wrestle free, and he's holding on to him. And it, and they cut to this scene with no context of him grabbing her, and I thought, oh my gosh, he's going to rape her, and like I don't know how anyone could see this scene and not immediately think that's what's happening. She heads home. Cary Grant takes her home. And she overhears her parents saying that she's a spinster, which if you don't know what that means, it means like a, a, a woman who basically has no interest in marrying. Uh, and no romance and, uh, you know, all that. It's probably some sort of offensive term now. Uh, so I apologize, but I don't, I don't, I've never heard anyone say it. Except for, you know, in old movies. Well, this is apparently the motivation she needs to hook up with uh, old boy Cary Grant. And they go to a ball and then, uh, like, second date, she's like, I'm in love with you. He says the same. They get married. They go to Paris. They go to France. They go to that place where Paris is. France. uh, Vienna, which is in Rome. Or is that Venice? Either way, they see the world. Okay, And then they move into their brand new house, which is basically a mansion. They already have like a head maid. Uh, She pretty much runs the house. And Jane Fontaine, what's her name? Joan Fontaine. Finally, Joan Fontaine says, how are we paying for this? And he's because he ends up getting a loan. And that's how they find out that he paid for this trip. As he got a loan that he has to pay back. And his whole thing is like, well, you know, eventually your dad will die and you'll get your inheritance. And she's like, well, you don't know how much inheritance I'm going to get. Did you marry me for the money? Which is completely reasonable. But apparently her dad sends her a gift, which are these chairs uh, that are apparently the most expensive chairs of all time. And he, these chairs that they get for the wedding, he immediately sells them. And then takes that money and goes to the track and bets it on a horse. That horse wins, and then he comes back with 2000 Or at least you think the horse wins. I no, He went and betted on it for sure because he gets caught by a third party. But it turns out the winnings, this $2,000 he comes back, or 2,000 pounds, that he comes back with is actually money he's embezzled from his uncle, who's now fired him. And essentially this guy is running like a Ponzi scheme. And if a Ponzi scheme is where you borrow money from someone. Now it's a lot more to do with investing. Let's say I borrow a hundred dollars from you. I say I'm going to go invest it. And then I call Mark and I say, Hey Mark, let me borrow $200. Thanks. And then I take that $200 and I give 50 back to the guy, gave a hundred and say, Hey, here's the first payment. But then I go and borrow another money from a third person and it just kind of rolls downhill. That's quick and dirty. It's not exact. There's a lot to do with investments and pretending to invest. But uh, that's a Ponzi scheme. That's not what he's doing specifically. But he's basically borrowing to pay back loans that he has no intention of paying back. Because it ends up spending the money he's borrowing. And he drives them deep into debt. And uh, they have a. he has a friend named Beaky who shows up partway through the movie. And Beaky is uh, a a really nice guy, a friend of of Johnny's, aka Cary Grant, and he like he's like an enabler of this uh what do you call it this behavior because he is like talking to her about the chairs that have been sold. And he pretty much knows right away. I'm pretty sure Johnny sold those and bet him like he calls it immediately because they've been friends forever. And he he says, well, just bring up chairs and watch him spin a story. He's great at it. And she does bring up chairs and he spins a story and Beaky sits them both down almost like with popcorn ready to listen to this story he's going to weave. He keeps this going on various things. And then eventually her dad dies. So now they're going to come and do their inheritance. This guy is so obsessed with money, Cary Grant. Um, and the whole time, you're you, you this relationship, this marriage, is built on two dates. They're in a handful of scenes, and they're married. And I, it's almost like, why is it even there? It'd probably work better for me if they cut that out, that first bit. Like, how they meet, and we just start the movie married. And then we learn that he's this scumbag. <sighs> well... Where was I? Oh my gosh. Well, he buys back those chairs with some money he borrowed. Anyway, this this circle of going down the drain with debt keeps going uh, to the point where he and Joan Fontaine take a ride and he sees some property he's going to invest in and him and Beaky are going to invest in some property and she tries to warn Beaky. This is, hey, buddy, maybe like, but she tries to do a like subtle, like, hey, maybe you should learn some things. Don't don't just leave Cary Grant in charge. You never know. Uh, what could, If something happens to him, then you're on your own or whatever. She's trying to help Beaky out because Beaky's a genuine nice guy, if also an enabler. Turns out Cary Grant heard everything. And he basically says, just stay out of my business. He's a terrible person. <laughs> The whole movie, right? And then people start dying around him, right? So they establish that Beaky has like an allergy to Brandy. And to the point where Johnny says, Cary Grant says, one day it's going to kill him. Foreshadowing, it does. Because they... Johnny says, "Okay, you're right. We're going to cancel this whole investment thing with the property and all. But me and Beaky, we have to go to France. Well, Beaky gets dies, Okay, because there's some British guy around him. And Joan Fontaine obviously suspects her husband. Why wouldn't you? So when he gets back, she's fully convinced that he's killed Beaky. He says, no, I love Beaky. Beaky's my friend, you know, and it turns out Beaky died drinking brandy. And then she starts to she has this friendship that comes up just out of nowhere with some author who writes mystery novels. And she gets to talking to him about some case that was reminiscent of what happened with. Um, with Beaky and, and uh, Cary Grant and there's a book on it that she tries to find on her bookshelves, but she had already loaned it to Carrie Grant. This is very suspicious. Of course it is. Ugh, so, <clears throat> I'm working up a sweat here. Now, previously to Beaky dying, he almost got killed going down to this property that they were trying to invest in, which is cliffside down to some oceans and she thinks he's going to murder him there well now all of a sudden carrie grant starts getting letters from the insurance company and from uh like apparently he tries to get a loan okay against her credit or whatever i don't know how it works back in the day but it got denied and in the note they sent that denies his loan or approval of whatever. It says the only way we could approve this is if your wife is dead. It's like okay, so <laughs> here's written motive. All right, and so Joan Fontaine finds this, and now she's scared for her life. They were talking at the dinner table with this off their friend and her husband or whoever he is uh, about this new poison that is totally untraceable. Yeah. It'll kill you within a day and it'll leave no trace. And this information becomes. uh, Joan finds out that Cary Grant has now figured found out what this is. And apparently it's a household, a household item people use every day. They never say what it is because it's fiction. Um, But back in these days, you know, the FDA wasn't around, probably. I don't know. I'm not a historian. And. so now she's worried about being poisoned by Cary Grant with good reason. Everything that could be suspicious, he does in this movie. And that's why the movie is called suspicion. So we need a payoff though, right? For this to really work, there needs to be a payoff. Spoilers. There's no payoff. Okay. Uh, What happened in this movie? So one night, Cary Grant brings her a tall glass of milk because she hasn't been feeling well. And, you know, this is a night where they have a fight and she's like, listen, I just want to sleep by myself. And Cary Grant throws a hissy fit and leaves the room, but calms down and brings her a glass of milk. She knows that this glass of milk has been poisoned. So she goes to sleep not drinking it. And in the morning, she's packing her bags because she's going to spend some time with her mom. Because she knows Cary Grant's trying to kill her. On this trip to her mom's, they drive down where the cliffs are, right? And (laughs) apparently the passenger side door of this car... Now, this is in the UK, okay? So they drive on the opposite side of the road, and the passenger side of the car is on the opposite side of the car that we're used to in the States. Are you with me? So she's actually roadside. uh, Outside of her door are the cliffs, and her door just keeps popping open. And Cary Grant reaches over and closes it. And as they take a corner, it pops open again. She's falling out of the car. He goes to grab her, but she thinks that he's pushing her. and But she still holds onto his arm. And anyway, she runs off once they park. And this causes Cary Grant to just lose it. He's like, that's enough. How much more can I take? You don't want to sleep in the same bed with me. You don't trust me. And you just tried to get a, like, you can't stand my touch so much that when I'm trying to save your life, you ran. This is when she lets out all her suspicions. But it comes up that he really wasn't. Now, keep in mind that he's been lying to her this whole movie, right? He's been lying to her from the very beginning about where the money goes. When she knows the truth, there are many scenes in this movie, she knows the truth, she asks the question of him, and he always reciprocates with a lie. 100% of the time. He gets fired for embezzling, and she asks him what happened. I mean, my uncle, we just don't get along. She had already found out the truth, though. So, why she buys this line that he's about to feed her that this poison that he's looked up was actually for himself because he's gotten himself in so much debt that he's just going to kill himself. And he was in a different, he was in some other city as opposed to uh, Paris or wherever it was that Becky died, but, but, but beaky. And, uh, she buys all of it. Right. And to me, he's lied the whole time how do we know he's not lying now but anyway this is the end of the movie he's telling her that he was going to kill himself but first he's going to drop her off at her mom's so she knows that she's okay and she's like oh i was wrong let's stay together let's go back to our house we'll figure out a way to get out of this together no and then they turn around and go home and then we roll credits This is like I'm this is a up until the ending, like a, a bad ending can kill a great movie. And largely this movie's pretty good until you get to the end. It's so unsatisfying because now the whole movie isn't about this guy who's this possible killer who kills for money. She accidentally married this guy who killed his own best friend. And she, he's got life insurance out on her and now he's thinking about killing her. That's a much better movie because then her suspicions are true. But now all you have is someone who's paranoid, but she's really not because the plot leads you completely down this train of thought. It basically lays out everything that even in a court would like not be considered reasonable doubt. And it's kind of frustrating because what you have is a movie written about a criminal doing criminal things, doing things that look like murder and not writing yourself out of it. Just so many fortuitous events that make it look like he's terrible over and over and over. And these this sort of thing wouldn't happen that much to one person. And it happens to Cary Grant in this movie. He's a liar. He's a bad person. She should have left him. And she didn't. She tries multiple times to leave him, but she's too in love. But I don't know why, because he treats her like crap. And this movie's just unsatisfying at the end. Now, I love Cary Grant, okay? And he's good in this movie. He's unlikable, which is the task at hand, right? That's what they're... You be unlikable. Joan Fontaine's good. She was in Rebecca and she did a great job here. And her acting is so good, though, that I almost like didn't recognize her because in Rebecca, she's this sort of wide eyed, uh, you know, innocent look at the world. Whereas this character is a lot more like stronger. She's not the same kind of pushover. She does question her husband and push back and try to set some boundaries uh you know within the realm of what women were allowed to do back then but uh it just the ending it just didn't and i feel like i've seen this ending before this very specific one like i tuned into the movie at the very end years ago or something and saw this fight between them uh, about him going to go kill himself uh it would have been a better movie had he just dumped her off the cliff like, it would have left you shocked that not only was he the killer, like he killed his friend, he did fraud, then he killed his wife and gets away with it, after all the suspicion that there... Sometimes the best twist is to not twist it, right? Have you guys seen Scream? Okay, Scream is a great movie. It's, you know, a whodunit. Who's the killer, right? Classic. It's one of the best examples of that sort of serial killing, like horror movie and the whole time Skeet Ulrich is in it and he looks evil and he does evil things and he's always in places that make him look suspicious and he's so obviously the killer that you assume he's a red herring you assume that he's not the killer because it's so obvious and so the twist comes that he is the killer it's like well of course he is but at the same time I didn't see it coming because it was way too obvious Sometimes that's good if it's done right. But that's another movie in the books. This is Hitchcock Chronologically. Uh, you can shoot me an email, hitchcockchronologically at gmail.com. You can check out the Discord link in the description if you wanted to chat with me. Also keep an eye out for my new movie podcast with my friend Mark. It's called Das Movie Draft House. I know, not... You know, we, it sounded good at the time. H-A-U-S, DOS, D-A-S, Draft, Movie, HALS, H-A-U-S. Go ahead and just subscribe in your little dealy whap there because uh, I told you to. How about that? All right. So. So for the first time on this podcast, I'm going to watch a movie that I've already seen. Because I've not seen any of these movies, at least in their entirety. Like I said, I might have seen this last scene. At least deja vu'd me a bit. But I'm going to watch Saboteur. And if you remember from the episode called Sabotage, he has two movies. Sabotage and Saboteur. One of which i known I had seen before. And then after watching Sabotage, I'm like, oh, it must have been Saboteur. So I remember liking this movie a lot when I was a lot younger. I was in my early 20s. I'm old man now. And I'm going to watch Saboteur. Uh, this movie came out in cinemas uh, in the year 1942. So In the year 1942. So this is the only movie made by Hitchcock in 1942. So uh, we're going to start moving along this timeline a lot quicker here. Uh, so join me next week as we take a look at Saboteur by Alfred Hitchcock.